Me and my husband have recently been watching The Handmaid's Tale. Now, if you haven't seen it, don't worry, I'm not going to give away any spoilers. But the story takes place in a dystopian future where radical Christians have taken over the leadership of America, which is now called Gilead. And as the story unfolds, we see that one of the main features in this new world is the total oppression of women. Women have no rights, they have no money, they have no jobs, they have no freedom. All they have is duty. And in the, in this world, um, the leaders are using um, biblical scriptures to justify their terrible decisions and their terrible actions. And we're going to watch a little clip of that now. This isn't your fault. It's mine. It was unfair for me to burden you with so much responsibility. Now we must make amends. Amends? Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Fred, please. That passage rattles my bones a little bit. Now, it is worth saying that the passage of scripture that the guy read out in that clip isn't biblically accurate. They've changed um, some of the stuff, so it doesn't reflect what's actually said in the Bible. However, that first bit that he read out is, wives submit to your husbands. That is found in Ephesians 5. And that passage hasn't always sat well with me. The idea that as a wife, I have to submit to my husband is difficult for me. And if you know me, you'll know that I am not a particularly submissive type of person. I've got two sons, Morgan and Aaron, and recently they came to me in the middle of an argument. I think Aaron was accusing Morgan of ruining one of his Lego models, but Morgan was saying that he hadn't ruined it, he'd just improved it. And so I was put in the position of referee. We had a chat about how it's really important to respect one another and to try and see um, different people's perspectives. And I did a little exercise with them. I held up my hairbrush and I had Aaron standing on one side and Morgan standing on the other side. I held my hairbrush like this. And I said to them, I said, Aaron, can you just tell me what you can see? And so obviously he described this side of the hairbrush. And then I asked Morgan, can you describe what you can see? And he described this side of the hairbrush. And so obviously their descriptions were two quite different things. And I talked to them about how sometimes we can be looking at the same thing, but see it from a different perspective. So they totally got this and this was really helpful. But then I asked Aaron if he could 
talk to, just listen to Morgan and hear his perspective. If he could just respect Morgan and try and see things from his point of view. Well, Aaron got very, very cross about this. He thought it was deeply unfair that I was asking him to see things from Morgan's point of view, but I wasn't asking Morgan to see things from Aaron's point of view. Obviously, I hadn't finished the whole process yet and Aaron had got cross before I'd actually finished explaining the whole thing. And do you know what? Sometimes I think we approach this passage in the Bible in kind of a similar way. We read that first bit, wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And then we close it because we don't, we don't agree with it. That doesn't sound very fair to us. And so we don't read the whole context of what's going on here. And you know what? That's understandable because this passage has been used or misused to explain why men should have more power over women, why men should be the head of the church and the head of the households and women shouldn't teach or speak. And so justifiably, there's some anger around it. How on earth in this day and age can something like this, when women have fought for equality for so long, How can this be relevant to us? But I think if we dig deeper, if we read a bit more, then we will actually see it is deeply relevant to all of us. It's really important when we look at a passage of the Bible that we have a look at the wider context around it. So this passage is found in the book of Ephesians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus at the time, which, by the way, is modern day Turkey, just in case that helps with the location of it. And um, it's really helpful for us if we actually look at some of the wider context in this letter before we drill into one particular thing. And so there's some things that are helpful for us. The first is that when Paul wrote this letter, we can see at the start of it that there's no personal greetings. This is a little bit different to his other letters that he wrote. So if, for example, we look at 1 Corinthians, I think within the second paragraph, we see that Paul names some people that he's writing to. It's quite a personal letter. And that shows us that that letter, although it was to the church in Corinth, he was writing to a small group of people who would then deliver that message to everybody. But in this letter, Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't name anybody personally. And that gives us a little indication that this letter is um, more like a circular or a memo. It's kind of aimed for everybody to read it and access it and understand it. He's not writing to a small group of people. And that's just something that we bear in mind as we read it. Something else that's really helpful to know is um, that there's three main themes. If you read the whole book of Ephesians, you'll see three themes that come out there. And the first theme is that Christ has reconciled all of creation to himself and to God. So Paul is reminding the people in Ephesus that Christ came to build a bridge between all of creation and God. The second thing that we see is a theme of unity, that Christ came to bring unity um, for, to people and God and people with other people. And in fact, if you've been around for a little while, we did a whole um, series on this two years ago um, in G2, where we really looked at the theme of unity that you see in Ephesians. 
And the third theme that comes out throughout the whole letter, the book of Ephesians, is the idea that we have to live a new way, that we have to stop doing some of the old things that that we were doing. Paul is reminding people that it is not enough to just believe in Jesus, but we are called to follow him. And that means um, behaving and acting in a different way and letting go of some of those old things that we used to do. The other thing that's useful to know in this context is that there would be people from all sorts of different backgrounds living in Ephesus at the time. Um, And the two main cultures that you would have seen in that city is a a Jewish culture. So in in Jewish households, um, the the husband and wife relationship would have been more, um, you know, kind of traditional. So the the woman staying, wife staying at home and doing the the household things, um, looking after the children, that kind of thing, while the men um, go out and work. So there's a, there's kind of a Jewish background there. And then there's also a Greco-Roman, um, culture. And this is, um, quite different to the Jewish one because the Greco-Roman culture that we see in the city of Ephesus had shifted away from men having multiple wives. And instead, men had one wife at a time. Men were still having multiple wives. And so divorce was on the rise and marriage had kind of become disposable. I guess. And so the, the cult, as we understand the culture in which Paul is writing, I think that helps us to see that um, a passage of scripture that looks like it's segregating men and women when it's in a whole narrative of unity and reconciliation doesn't look like it fits. And so that kind of gives us license to ask some questions about what's really going on here. What we're going to do now is we're going to actually look at the whole passage. We're going to zone into it and unpack it a little bit more. So this is Ephesians 5 and we're starting at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I can't begin to tell you how controversial this sentence would have been in this culture. People would have understood the word submit, but from a military point of view, where soldiers were told to submit to their commanding officers. But here, Paul says, submit to one another. Wives and husbands submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. So Paul is reminding them that our submission comes first to Jesus and then to one another. 
And like I say, this was deeply controversial and pretty radical. It would have caught people's attention. And so what follows is really Paul unpacking that sentence. Paul goes on to say, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And this is where we want to stop reading, isn't it? This is where we want to stop listening. That word submit, which has so often been misused, is such a turn off. It doesn't sound very good. It doesn't sound very fair. But let's not get hung up here like Aaron got hung up when I was trying to explain my whole process. Let's keep listening. Because Paul then says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. There are three Greek words for love. There is eros love. And eros love is where we get the word erotic from. It's like a desire love, a fancy love. And then there's filio love. Uh, Filio is a friendship kind of a love. And then there's agape love. And agape is an unconditional, I would do anything for you kind of love. This is how I feel about my children. Even when they're arguing about Lego, I still deeply love them. And that is agape love. And what's really interesting here is when Paul writes, husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. The word he used was agape. He is calling them to agape love their wives. And that means to be lay down everything for them, to put them first. Think about how Jesus loved the church in that same way, that agape love, men are called to love their wives. This, again, was deeply radical. This is actually the first time in ancient literature that the word agape was used to describe how a man should love his wife. It's really fascinating reading. And so if women are called to submit to their husbands, then men are called to love them and lay down everything for them. And this word submission, it's such a loaded word, isn't it? It kind of, I think we often think of it as like a a kind of a blind obedience. But what we need to remember is that submission was modelled by Jesus. Jesus submitted to the Father's will. He lived a life of submission, serving other people, shown in things like when he got down and, and cleaned the feet of his disciples, but also in the ultimate act of submission, which was that he died for his people. He died to save us. And that is really what submission means, be willing to do anything for somebody else. And what about if we kind of replace that word submit in this passage? So it says, wives, trust your husbands or wives, give up everything for your husbands or wives, be willing to do anything for your husbands. And that is so in line with the way Jesus taught and the way Jesus lived. It absolutely does not mean a blind obedience where we just do what we're told. But then let's look again at the other half of this passage. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Do you know what? I am amazed that there isn't more uproar from men about this passage because this is an incredibly high bar to set for men. Men are told to love their wives like Christ loved the church. Christ who died for the church, died for his people. Men are being told, you should love your wife so much that you are willing to die for them. That's how much you will put them first. That is incredibly challenging for all of us. And so it seems to me that this passage is maybe a little bit unfair on men. Seems to me like they've got a bigger job to do. Well, maybe it's just equal because women are called to submit to their husbands, which means to lay down everything for them. And men are called to love their wives like Christ loved the church, which means to lay down everything for them. And it is so sad when this passage is used to explain why one spouse should have more power over another spouse. Because really this passage is about giving up power and living a life of submission. And so if we have a husband who is willing to do anything for his wife, to willing to give up everything to see her become more free and more like Jesus and more of everything that she was made to be. And if we have a wife who is willing to give up everything for her husband, willing to um, lay down anything so that he can be more free and more Christ-like uh, and follow Jesus um, in the way that he's called to do, then we have a marriage that is designed by God. Now, I'm not saying at all that my marriage with Luke is perfect, but this particular passage has meant such a lot to us over the years. And there's been particular times where it's had more meaning. Um, and if you want to hop into the living room after this live stream, then we're going to be unpacking this a little bit more. Emmy um, did a brilliant, gave us a brilliant word last week about the new covenant. And so me and Emmy are going to be having a bit of a chat and a discussion. And we'd love people to join in and ask questions and, and grapple with some of this stuff a little bit deeper. I know that at G2, we are all in um, a different place. Some of us are married, some of us are not married, some of us would love to be married. Some people have been married more than once and some people have only just left home and are not even thinking about marriage just yet. However, I don't think this part of scripture is only for married people. I think it is for everybody because it teaches us more about how Jesus sees us with him as the bridegroom and us as the bride, totally committed to each other. It also shows us how Jesus sees men and women standing equally next to each other. Different, yes, but we are equal in the eyes of Jesus. 
And it's also for all of us because even if you're not married, then you will most likely know married people. And this gives us a deeper insight into how marriage was designed to be, with both men and women submitting first to Jesus and then to each other, laying down everything to support one another. And so even if you're not married, your role might be to support married people as they journey through this together. And maybe whether you're a guy or a girl, this will challenge you to see men and women exactly as Jesus sees them, equal. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came to earth to bring a new way of doing things. And thank you that you taught people a new way. Thank you that you made men in the image of God. Thank you that you made women in the image of God. And thank you that we stand equally together. Thank you for the joy and the hardship that marriage is. And God, we pray for blessings on married people, and people that are not married, and people that are figuring out relationships. And we look to you for the model of what that could be. Amen.